We're jumping out of uh, John's Gospel for an individual week. Uh, We'll return back to it next week. Let me just pray for us uh, as we start, as we uh, delve into some of God's word. Father, I ask that you use your word to speak truth into our hearts and to help our perception of you this morning. Help us to know who you are and who we are in Christ. Your word is powerful and a blessing to us. We look for your spirit to do his work in us today. Make my words only of you and remove all arrogance from any of us so that your spirit can be unhindered in his work. I ask this for your glory. Amen. I wonder who makes you feel the guiltiest in life. Uh, Who is it that walks into a room and suddenly you think, oh no, what have I done? Uh, what am I about to get into trouble for, what have I not realised and I'm about to get caught out on. Uh, When I started at Emmanuel as a teacher, uh, one of the first uh, kind of introductory sessions I had as a teacher was with uh, a certain vice principal of the school who was renowned as the disciplinarian of the school. He had a genuine superpower. It was terrifying. Uh, Students, and when he walked into the class, would sit up straighter, would stand up straighter. Uh, The shirts would suddenly be tucked in. Uh, I remember being on duty, kind of trying to get students in line, etc. And then they all suddenly lined up and I thought, ha ha, I've mastered this. <laughs> no, he had walked around the corner and they just <laughs> went poker straight. It was unbelievable. Um, anyone who knew they'd done anything wrong uh, outside of the college policy immediately thought, oh no, he's here for me. Uh, he was always fair and he knew the policies inside out because he wrote them all. Uh, and when... Uh, whenever they saw him, they thought, judgment is en route. He never had to shout. That was part of his superpower. I never quite understand how he managed it. Uh, and I admit that I didn't escape either. There was more than one occasion where I was caught out and told off as well. Nobody escaped the all-seeing eye of Mr. Grant. I wonder who is it for you? Is it your mum or your dad? Is it a sibling? Is it a certain teacher that you remember? Someone your age that somehow just makes you feel bad? about everything that you do. Maybe it's God. I wonder, friends, uh, how much of your time is spent uh, feeling pretty bad about yourself before God and feeling the weight of how much of a screw-up you are? How could we feel anything else? If you're anything like me, then the challenge set by Stuart last week to go a whole day without sinning should be changed to an hour at maximum. I think I could probably manage that assuming I was asleep. (laughs) In Romans chapter 7, Paul has been wrestling with his own frustrations regarding this. Uh, Now, there's some debate whether or not Paul in Romans chapter 7 was talking about life before becoming a Christian or during his Christian walk. But regardless, if you're anything like me, then you probably feel and can relate to his words. They're going to come up just in a moment. Uh, Paul was a man of the law of God all of his life. He'd been super religious and followed as many laws as he could find, quite frankly. The hope was that this would give him peace, would give him assurance, would help him to know that he had God's favor. But the truth was that the law, the Ten Commandments, uh, and the laws that extended from those, given by God, given as good advice, and to provide structure and justice for the people, only were good for letting people know exactly how guilty they were. When there's no law, There's no guilt of crime, but chaos reigns. God provided a law for the good of the people, but as we know, we cannot rise to the challenge of God's law 
And so we find ourselves feeling guilty and knowing that condemnation hangs over our heads. What a painful place we find ourselves in. These are the words of Roman chapter 7, verses 21 to 25. So I find this law at work. These are the words of Paul. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. That's the actual law that God gave. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Wow, poor Paul. Feeling the weight of so much guilt and knowing his own weaknesses before God, you feel the burden of his words. What a wretched man I am. And you'd quite rightly feel a bit depressed getting to Romans chapter 7 and getting to these words. But as is often the case in Scripture, in the Bible, after Romans 7 comes Romans 8. Uh, And that's the section that I'm really most interested in this morning. These verses are the equivalent of being locked up in a cell and then hearing the words, oh yeah, the the key's just over there, like just underneath that rock. Romans 8, in my opinion, is probably the greatest chapter in the Bible. And you would do well to read it every single day this week. Uh, Utilise Stuart's daily devotions if you're part of the email chain, and we're grateful for those. But also, if possible, Just read Romans 8 every day. Try to assimilate it into your heart and your mind. Memorize it if you can. Uh, Fully believe it and let the word of God capture and change you through his spirit. Romans 8 verses 2 to 4. Through Christ, through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering and so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit now our our two passages so far this morning are full of laws nobody likes a law nobody likes to be told what to do Actually, that's not, that's not true. Actually, loads of people like to be told what to do. I quite like having laws. I think uh, we'd have a bit of a problem if we didn't have them. But there is, in these verses, a law that nobody is a fan of. The law of sin and death. Now, many of our own laws in our country uh, have loopholes, and people are spending their time trying to wrangle their way out of them and find the loopholes, try to escape a verdict. Uh, but this is seemingly the ultimate of all laws. Good luck trying to wrangle your way out of this one. Just look at the national death statistics and the lives of people uh, for the data. There is a 100% chance of death and the same when it comes to sinning. In the week ending the 21st of May, the latest data that is available from the Office of National Statistics, there were 9,860 registered deaths in the UK. If you're interested, that is 3.2% lower than the five-year average for the UK. I'm assuming you're all interested. Uh, in the current time, the current context, we tend to think that some of these deaths are avoidable. This is not the case. Possibly some of them were postponable if the NHS was working in a different way, if things had been identified quicker. Possibly they were postponable, but not one of those deaths is avoidable. The law of sin and death 
is seemingly unbreakable. Now, in reality, in these passages, it's, it's probably better to think of these, this idea of laws as, as authorities or powers. That's a better translation for most of the time that law comes up in these passages. The authority of sin and death falls on each of us. Why? Well, because we're told two key truths earlier in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory or the the standard of God. And then in in Romans chapter 6 verse 23, it says the wages of sin is death. So we've all sinned, only a truly deluded person thinks that that's not true of them. And sin, according to the Bible, leads to death. And that also seems to be true. Uh, I challenge you to find somebody who hasn't sinned or somebody who isn't likely to die. So this is a law that we are all under and we are helpless to escape. But there is a law that is greater still. The law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. How does the authority of the spirit differ from the authority of sin? Well, the spirit gives life where sin brings death, not just physical, but eternal. Where the law of sin, and therefore its natural conclusion, death, rules in the life of anyone where God is not in control, for anyone who is a child of God, and therefore has the spirit of God ruling in their lives and their hearts, life takes the place of death, and the power and authority of sin are totally and completely broken. Our verses say that the law of the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin. The Spirit of God is a more powerful force than anything in the universe, including the authority and power of sin and death. The power of the Spirit breaks the hold of sin, breaks the fear of death, and frees us to live a life free of these chains. How does this happen? Well, our verses are clear that what the law, the actual law attempted to do, it could not do. We could have the next, or the previous passage back up. While we are still in our flesh, still living here, still here as we are, we will be marked by sin in our lives. There's an inevitability to it. And the law, the physical law, the actual law that God gives, only makes that obvious. Our verses say, that what the law attempted to do, which was to declare us right to God, it could not do because we could not obey the law. So if the physical law of God only makes us guilty and our guilt leads us to death and there's not one thing that we can do to break that trend and that power and that outcome, God steps in. God sends his own son the son Jesus Christ, who takes on himself, our verses say, uh, sin, and then God judges our sin on his body. This means that the law is rightly upheld, but it frees us from the guilt of the law and the condemnation that comes with it. It is a remarkable and a flawless plan of both justice and salvation. There is a law, we are guilty. We deserve condemnation. With sin, condemnation and justice must be, uh, must be put out by God. But that condemnation goes on Christ. And so it doesn't need to go on us. 
This is all of God. This is God stepping into our broken, messed up lives, knowing that we have no way out of it, and saying, I can and I will fix this. Jesus becomes flesh. Our verses say that then sin was judged in that flesh on Calvary, so God's law that is right and just can be completely met, and the judgment would not, be, would not need to fall on you and I. That is amazing. That is truly amazing. On Calvary, Jesus became sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. God condemned sin on Calvary. Whose sin? Well, it certainly wasn't Jesus' because he didn't have any. He condemned your sin on Jesus on Calvary. And in doing this, God declares us righteous by making Christ sin, placing our condemnation on him. It's not that there's no condemnation. That would be unrighteous because there has been sin. And our God is incapable of just sweeping sin under the carpet and just ignoring it but jesus has experienced that judgment and frees us from it jesus has taken the judgment borne the punishment ensured the law has been fully completed jesus has dealt with the whole problem of sin therefore verse one i didn't forget about it it's far too important for that therefore there is now no condemnation we can have that verse up Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Say this with me, please. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a declaration we can make this morning. It is a game changer for you and for me. There is only one qualifier for this truth to be true for you, to be in Christ Jesus. How do you become in Christ Jesus? Well, by accepting that Jesus has taken your place, taken your punishment, taken your judgment. By believing this is true for you, not just for the person beside you or just for the world in general, but believing this is individually true for you. Accepting Jesus into your life as Lord and ruler, thereby agreeing that God's way is the right way and accepting that Jesus should have the steering wheel of your life. Agreeing to turn from a life of sin and self-gratification to a life to honor God. Now we all know that we get it wrong lots and lots of times even as Christians but we actively try to turn from our sin. We call that repentance and when any person believes this and asks God for forgiveness based on these premises then they have salvation in Jesus. They are in Jesus. Jesus is in them through the Spirit and they are in Jesus through faith. We are united with Jesus in a way that is beyond God and subject, beyond saviour and saved. It is a way that's almost unexplainable and remarkable. And if this is you, you are in Jesus this morning uh, and God does not condemn you because you are in Jesus and God today is certainly not condemning Jesus. Now the opposite of this, the opposite of being in Christ is to be separated from him. And Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 tells us a bit about what that looks like. 
Paul, again, writing to the Ephesian church, says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is a terrifying position to be in. If you are not in Jesus today, you are separate from Jesus. Risking that as your eternal choice. And the Bible makes it clear that this leaves you in a place of no hope, no eternal hope, no hope of the life that God wants you to have here and now, no hope of knowing freedom from condemnation, no hope when you are not in Christ. And so I challenge anyone who is here today who knows that they are not in Christ to deeply question why that is the case. The peace of knowing sins forgiven and pardon from condemnation are yours to grasp hold of and enjoy as you accept Christ as saviour. It is a decision not to be neglected, not to be rejected, not to be postponed. It is a decision which if you choose Christ will change your life for the better and afford you eternal blessings that cannot be imagined. So today I want to, I want to focus on verse 1 because I believe that this proves to be a crippling issue for many a blood-bought Christian today. I have purposely labored the basis of this truth because so many of us, so much of the time, walk around bearing the burden of the fear of judgment or even worse, retribution from God. We think, why would God bless me when I have done so much sin? Why would God look favorably on me when he knows my heart and my mind and, and the things I'm capable of? Why would God not make things work against me when I've worked against him so many times? And so the thoughts cascade on. Now, I do not say this lightly, but this type of thinking is of the devil. They are whispers of untruth from the father of lies. They are accusations from the accuser and God does not accuse his children. The devil is happy to play on our insecurities and doubts and our thoughts of unworthiness and turn them against us. He will bring to your head the thing that you did years and years ago that you cannot forgive yourself for, accusing you over and over and over again. Later in this chapter in Romans 8 in verses 33 and 34, verses that you're going to read every day this week, uh, Paul again writes, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen against Christians? It is God who justifies, it's God who declares righteous. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. There is no accusation that sticks when we are in Christ because our mistakes have been dealt with at Calvary already. That recurring regret that you have, you can let it go. You can leave it in the past because it is already forgiven by God. We must remember that our God has defeated completely and fully every aspect of the plan of the devil. The devil and his authority and all of his power have been totally destroyed by Christ on the cross. The evidence of this is the resurrection where even Satan's strongest move to kill the Son of God was turned inside out and used by God for his glory and for our redemption. In God's plan to have a people for himself 
and to bless his children. John Piper rightly says this, there was only one thing that could possibly have undone God's plan, unforgiven sin in our lives. Unforgiven sin that God would rightly and justly have to punish. However, God has dealt with the whole problem of unforgiven sin through Jesus Christ on the cross. And today, all of that judgment and all of that condemnation is removed. And in Christ, your sins are forgiven. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The type of thinking that sometimes flags up in our mind, it identifies a key problem with our perception of God. God is our perfect father when we are in Christ. Not a boss needing us to hit certain criteria for a pay rise. Not a driving test examiner ticking boxes as we drive our way through life. Not even a spouse who sometimes holds things against us uh, when that wasn't a personal thing, um, when they shouldn't. God has wiped clean your record of wrong. You are innocent in his eyes if you are in Christ and you stay that way. We need to stop viewing God like he's waiting for us to trip up or tutting when we make a mistake. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't care about our sin. That would be completely wrong. But God does not keep a list of wrongs. That would undermine the work of Christ at Calvary. God is not constantly weighing up our sins to determine if we are worthy of his love or worthy of his blessing. God has already judged us worthy and proven it by giving his most precious thing, Jesus Christ, to the cross. I think that one of the, one of the greatest insults that we can give to God is to doubt his love for us when he has already given the thing that he cared so much about, Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verses 32 says this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? How can we doubt the love, the affection, the devotion, the adoration that God has for us in light of what he has already done. So believe it. Leave the past where it is. Leave that guilt and that fear of retribution. Leave it be. Don't let the devil have a foothold in your faith. Yes, learn from your failings. Strive not to make the same mistakes again. Learn to flee the temptations that we know are maybe our individual weaknesses. But believe fully that each and every sin has been dealt with at Calvary. And then leave them there. We are prone to take our worries to the cross and then carry them away from the cross again. And we do the same thing with the, that sense of condemnation of sin that we have. Take them to the cross. They were dealt with at the cross. There's no need to carry them around like we're living in purgatory or that we're trying to add to what Jesus has already done leave your guilt at the cross. As Andy rightly expressed to us two weeks ago, you are saints in the eyes of God. And today we need to view ourselves like that. You might have forgotten in the past fortnight. Yes, we fail. Yes, we fall. We get things wrong. Yes, we continue to sin. But God still, in his grace, sees us as holy and perfect children when we are in Christ Jesus. 
This is obviously no blank check. We don't walk around thinking, well, my sins are already forgiven, so it's open bar. Romans 6 verses 1 and 2 say this, and Paul makes it very clear. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? The knowledge that we are free from the guilt of sin doesn't motivate us to sin more. It should do quite the opposite. If a friend told you that they just loved you so much, they would forgive you for anything that you did. You wouldn't, I hope, think about all the things that you could get away with. You would think, wow. You'd be so moved by their love that you would strive to be a better friend. And so this knowledge of the position that we find ourselves in doesn't move us to sin more, but to sin less, knowing the cost of our salvation and knowing the eternal and unconditional love that we have from our Heavenly Father. So, how does this affect you today? May I offer a few thoughts? Not all of these are my own. Firstly, as stated, stop believing that the guilt that we feel when we do wrong is reflected in the actions or the attitudes of God. There may be times where something of real distress comes about into your life. Pain, illness, marital issues, bereavement, family dispute, legal problems, and your thoughts turn to, is this God judging me for something I've done? You are not under condemnation. And so no, it's not. Now I don't claim to know the mind of God, uh, but we can have total faith that his decisions will be for our good, maybe to correct us, to bring us back closer to him. A million things that God only knows, but you are not under his judgment in Christ. God will at times discipline us to teach us and to correct us and to bring us back into a path that is right and appropriate and that can be uncomfortable but that is not the same thing and it is so important when we view God as a loving father that wants what is best that is very different from viewing him as a God who is perpetually disappointed in us you may be sitting here wondering about a real loss that you've suffered a failed relationship a broken home a chance at a job that you missed a miscarriage thinking that this was a judgment from God thinking it was something you did claim the truth you are not under condemnation God is not interested in judging you not interested in holding things over your head that is not our God maybe you're thinking today sitting in church thinking about all the doubts that you've had about your faith wondering if God can really accept you as a child knowing all of those questions and doubts in Christ you are free from the condemnation God is not interested in holding those doubts over your head. Stop holding them over your own. If you're thinking about habitual sin in your life, sin that has plagued you for years, 
Just wondering how God could possibly love you in spite of that sin. Yes, God wants you to flee that temptation. And he's given you the power to break that sin, but you're not defined by that sin. In God's eyes, you are his child. You are loved without question. Secondly, when we truly recognize that God has fully forgiven us for our sins, that our grace and mercy from God is poured out by the ocean, freeing us of all judgment, we might just manage to find the necessary grace to forgive someone else in our lives. Someone you feel has truly hurt you. This never means that we trust blindly that person in the future. We should learn from our experiences and we don't want to be naive and silly. But for those of us who are in Christ, we cannot hold on to wrong when we know the depths of mercy that we have received. If you're sitting here unable to forgive somebody from a wrong in your life, then call on God, call on the power of God's spirit to pour his amazing grace into your heart to enable you to forgive. Thirdly, thank God that the spirit of life is stronger than the law of the power of sin and death. Through God's spirit, he has given you all power over sin. You have the ability to break any chain in your life. In the name of Jesus and through the power of the spirit, lay hold on that authority. Believing it, knowing that from a place free of condemnation, you are released from whatever power sin holds over you. You are holy and pure in God's eyes, in Christ. And from that possession, own the freedom that you have. If you happen to love your sin more than you love Jesus, then call out to God to give you the strength to break that love. Fourthly, praise God. Praise God for his goodness and his grace. When we grasp and realize what God has done in us, the incredible position that we are, are in, freeing us from the power of sin and the guilt of it, when we understand that the axe does not hang over our heads and that God's view of us is one of pure love and mercy, the only thing that can, this can cause in us is praise to him. Full, deserved, daily, devoted praise for a work never earned, but freely given. Friends, today, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are a flawless child of God, free of judgment and held in the loving arms of a perfect father. Be happy about that. Hold on to it with all the strength you can find. Thank God for his amazing grace. He gives so freely and so fully.